lovely welcome this morning. We always feel at home when we come here, and uh, that's how it should be, isn't it? That uh, no matter where we go, uh, whatever church we're in, we're with brothers and sisters in, in Christ. So it's uh, lovely to come. Uh, Ruth was telling me that uh, you've been doing about awe, um, and um, I, I have a little contribution to make uh, on that subject. And it's a little story that I heard um, when the film, which many of you will probably have seen, called The Greatest Story Ever Told, they occasionally wheel it out at Easter time, uh, was made in the 1960s. And uh, John Wayne, the John Wayne, was actually playing the centurion in this film. Um, and uh, so they were, the, 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 the rector was getting this all lined up where you know, uh, the centurion stands at the cross and he goes, I can't do John Wayne's accent, <laughs> but something like, truly, this man was the son of God. And the director said, cut, John, John, he said, we we're going to do that again. Can you please try and do that, what you say, with more awe? And so they went, take two. John Wayne says, Truly, this man was the son of God. That's my contribution on all. all right. As um, Dave said, uh, I was going to the World Cup final, and uh, here's the actual well, a program to prove it. So if any of you want to have a, a quick look at that at the end, uh, you're welcome. Uh, I actually scored 20 matches of the World Cup. There were 48 altogether. Um, not as the official match scorer, but I score in the media centre for the world's press. So there's about 100 people in there. And uh, they give me a microphone, and most people who know me say, why? You've got a voice like a foghorn anyway. Uh, but it's so noisy in there, and I have to announce things like, you know, when a player's out and all the details, and just, I won't bore with those you who don't, care about cricket, but I, I'm, uh, that, that's where I am and that's what I was doing. And uh, my love for cricket started when I was very young and um, my mother was also very interested in cricket. Of course, it was only on the radio in those days, back in the 50s when I was a lad. And uh, I used to come home from school and she always used to write down the scorecard uh, for me so we could come home and find out what uh, had been going on. And, and that sort of a love for cricket uh, sort, sort of grew then. And we used to play cricket in the garden. I used to play with my brother, who was uh, four years younger. Uh, the only problem was that, that, that when we played with the hard cricket ball, it, it, it kind of smashed that the flowers didn't really stand much of a chance. And my mother was a great flower person. And so it was decreed by my father that no longer was a hard ball to be used in the garden when playing cricket. Tennis ball, okay. Hard cricket ball, no chance. That was not to happen. And we sort of said, yeah, sorry, sorry, mum, sorry, dad, yeah, that, that, that's fine. We said sorry, but the day that I thought my parents had gone out, <laughs> in fact, only my mother had gone out. And my father had stayed at home. Now, in, in our garden, we had a conservatory on the back of the house, sort of glass across the front. And down in front of it was this sort of uh, stone wall and a sort of flower bed. And uh, yes, so my brother and I thought, they're out. Let's get out the cricket ball. They'll never know. And so we got out the cricket ball and we played. Now, my version is different to my brother's. 
He, he says, I hit the ball. I say he hit the ball. I was, whatever it was, the ball was hit. All right? Now, it went in the direction of the conservatory. It hit the stone wall, can you believe? Shot up and bashed into one of the windows. And it went... And then we had the shock of our lives because my dad jumped up because he had not gone out. He was in the conservatory on his knees repairing the vacuum cleaner. Can you believe? I won't... I will draw a veil over the scene that ensued after that. Now, why am I going on about this? Well, simply because we'd shown remorse for what we'd done, smashing all the flowers down, but we hadn't truly repented. We hadn't truly repented. And the uncomfortable question for all of us this morning was, we've shown remorse and we've asked God's forgiveness, but have we truly repented? And to answer that, we need to know what the word repent actually means. What repent means is this. It means to make a 180 degree turn. So if you're facing this way, right, 180 degrees, and you walk in a completely different direction, away from our past way of living. And this will be shown in our lifestyle, that it's completely changed. When we come to God and we repent and we ask his forgiveness, it's not the end, it's the beginning. It's the start of a new life. And our lives should begin to show what John the Baptist called in Matthew 3 verse 8, and I quote, fruit in keeping with repentance. Fruit in keeping with repentance. And uh, the Apostle Paul expected people to prove their repentance by their deeds, if you look at Acts 26, verse 20. So repentance isn't something we did in the past. Repentance is being worked out in our lives now, today. And our deeds show whether we have truly repented. My brother and I, our deeds showed that we hadn't really repented, even though we'd said we were sorry because of what we then did. Now, writing to the Ephesians, Paul explains how this new repentant lifestyle of ours should look. He describes it as living in the light. And he describes us as children of the light. So what does it mean to be repentant? What fruits are we looking at here? What does it mean to be children of the light? So we're going to dip into Ephesians 5. So if you've got... A Bible you might like to turn there, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to dip into that and focus on just six, briefly, of the things that it means. Now, for all of them, you need to get your diary out and you need to book in for Understanding Paul's Studies 8 and 9 on the September the 25th and October the 16th when I go through the whole of this in some detail. So if you haven't been coming to the studies and you want to know what it means to live the Christian life in all its fullness, then make sure you're booked in there. So Ephesians 5 verses 3 to 7, let's just read that because this is the first one. It's quite a long one, but um, well, I'll do it as quickly as I can. And I'm reading, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality 
or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. So we can see first of all that being repentant, being children of the light, it means being holy. Now that doesn't mean say you walk around with a halo on your head. That's what not holy, that's not what holy means. Holy means living a life that follows the teachings of Jesus and the Bible. Notice in verse 3, Paul says, but among you there must not be. So that implies it was so among the other people around. But among, in society, but among you, it's got to be different, he says. And indeed, this is how they used to be before they came to Christ. It's how we all used to be. Before we actually saw the light, if you, if you want to put it that way, and came to Christ and asked his forgiveness, this is how we were. And that the people he's saying to the Ephesians, and Ephesians, remember, was written as a circular letter. It wasn't just written for the church in Ephesus. It was written to go round all the churches because Paul wanted all the people of God to know these things and to be showing fruits of repentance in their lives and that they needed to break away from their old lifestyles. He says there must not even be a hint of improper living among them. And the reason for that is because they're now God's holy people. That's awesome when you think about it. Oh, I'm rooting that word again. That's awesome, isn't it, when you think it's, we're God's holy people. That's what we are. We are God's holy people. So different standards are required. Greater expectations. And the areas that he highlights in these verses are sexual immorality, any moral mis misdemeanors which make us impure before God, and greed. Greed is that love of money and possessions. So much so that we actually finish up worshipping them, although we don't probably realise that we're doing, and that's why he uses the word idolatry or idolater when he talks about it. That they become the centre of our lives. Money, the centre of my life. Possessions, the sense what my life is all about. No, no, no. It shouldn't be. All right? The very words we speak, verse 4, he highlights those. Obscenity, foolish talk, which means gossip, coarse joking. And as James would later write in his letter in chapter 3, verses 10 to 11, and I quote, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this shouldn't be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? So he's saying, you know, if you've repented, hey, come on, that's going to show in what you say or what comes out of your mouth. And it's, we all know it's all, easy, all so easy to fall into this due to the pervasiveness of the darkness that's all around us. We go out in the world and they're living by different standards and different viewpoints and different priorities. And it's so easy to get sucked into that. You get bombarded with it all the time through the television and the newspapers and online and wherever else. But here we're saying that we're to be different in our behaviour and our lifestyles from the children of darkness, as Paul calls, calls those who've not come 
to the light of God yet. For now we are children of the light. And we're to live in a way that befits the kingdom to which we now belong. Now the importance of really living the Christian life is illustrated in the life of the famous author Mark Twain, uh, who wrote Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn and various other things. He was a humorist and uh, he once said that it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that I have a problem with. You know what's coming next, don't you? It's the parts of the Bible I do understand that I have a problem with. (laughs) He was the guy who said that. But in his life, it was quite sad, really, because church leaders were largely to blame for him gradually becoming hostile to the Bible and to the Christian faith. As he grew up, he knew elders and deacons in the church who owned slaves and abused them. He heard men using foul language and saw them practice dishonesty during the week after speaking piously in church on Sunday. He listened to ministers use the Bible to justify slavery. Now, although he saw genuine love for the Lord Jesus in some people, including his mother and his wife, he was so disturbed by the bad teaching and poor example of church leaders that he became bitter towards the things of God because the lifestyles of the people who said they were children of the light didn't line up. They were not showing fruits of repentance. And Paul goes on in verse 6 to warn us not to be deceived by what he calls empty words. Now, by empty words he means words of a world that's in darkness, that say things like, it's okay to behave in that way. It doesn't matter, it's natural. He's saying, don't be deceived by empty words of what's going on out there. Put your faith and trust in God's word and what God's word says. Paul warns that listening to such empty words will pull us back into disobedience and ultimately God's judgment. That's why he says in verse 7, therefore do not be partners with them. Don't have anything to do with it. Don't allow yourself to get sucked in because this is the sort of talk you'll hear and if you're not careful, you will get sucked back into that sinful lifestyle. Now that doesn't mean he says withdraw from the world completely. Otherwise, how can the world hear the gospel? How can the world see the light of Christ shining if not through us? If we withdraw from the world... It's not going to be visible, is it? As Jesus makes clear, we're in the world, John 17, 15 to 16, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. That's the difference. And that's tough, to be in the world, but not of the world. So that's the first thing it means. It means to be holy. Secondly, what does it mean? It means to be light. If you look at verse 8, it says, For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Now, just look at that again and see Paul's dramatic expressions that he uses here. He doesn't say, not in darkness. He doesn't say your children in darkness, that you were once in darkness. He says you were once darkness. But you are now light itself. You're not in the light, you are light. That's what he's saying. And that's only possible because, as he says at the end, you are light in the Lord. He shines in us and he shines through us and he shines out from us. 
Our lives have been so illuminated by him that in the words of Jesus, Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. Jesus said when he came, I'm the light of the world. But then he shone his light into the lives of his disciples and his believers and that's come down the centuries to you and me. We shine the light. We're the light of the world. And we're the light of the world in three ways. So think of these three objects when you think, what does it mean to be the light of the world? Think of a mirror, think of a window, and think of a lighthouse. All right, let's do the mirror. We're a mirror reflecting the light of Jesus into the world. It's like Christ's light shining into us and bouncing off, and people are seeing it in that way. Somebody once went down into a cellar, and in the darkness discovered that potatoes were sprouting in the darkest corner of the cellar. How could this possibly happen? And then they found the reason. A brightly polished copper kettle was hanging from the ceiling near the window. And it had been acting like a mirror. It had been reflecting the sun's rays onto the potatoes. So that the potatoes had sprouted. So we can all be a mirror. We can all be a mirror reflecting God's light to someone in a dark corner. And who knows what might sprout as a result of you shining light into dark corners of this world, into dark corners of people's lives. Being a window then. Being a window means allowing God's light to shine through us. Stories told of um, a young boy who went, um, presumably on a school visit, and one of the things they did was to look in the cathedrals of Europe. And he saw these huge stained glass windows depicting the disciples and the saints. And when he got back, he couldn't wait to tell his Sunday school teacher at church what he'd seen. And she said to him, well, what do you think a saint is? And he thought for a minute, and he remembered the windows, and he remembered what he'd seen, and he said, a saint is a person the light shines through. If you think of the saints in the windows, the light shines through. And he said, a saint is a person the light shines through. And that's you, and that's me. We're all called saints, not because we deserve to be revered or worshipped, but because we have become God's holy people. So a mirror, you're a mirror, and you're a window. All right? But you're also a lighthouse. We all know what a lighthouse does. It shines out into the darkness openly. It's up on the rock. It's up on the rock. It's not hidden away in the church. It's no good shining light in here. It's not going to have any effect at all on the darkness. The test is what happens out in the darkness. And a lighthouse shines out openly in the darkness. It doesn't hide its light away. So that's what it means to be light. It means to be a mirror, a window, and a lighthouse. In verse 9, we come on to the third thing it means. It means being fruitful. Now, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So light is productive. Think of the effect of the light on plants. They grow. You put a plant away in the dark, it won't grow. Crops, you need light. You need the light of the sun to cause them to grow. Light brings about fruitfulness, and fruitfulness brings about a harvest. So God looks for the fruit of the light 
in the lives of the children of light. And Paul here mentions three fruits in particular. And the first one is goodness. And the Greek word he uses means showing generosity of spirit in a society where people live mainly for themselves. Do you find that? People tend to live mainly for themselves. There's a selfishness of spirit. We're not to be like that. We're to be generous. We're to show generosity of spirit. Secondly, righteousness. Righteousness means doing what's right in God's sight in a society that doesn't. And thirdly, truth. Now, truth is more than grasping some intellectual truth with our minds. It's going further than that. It's being strong enough to act upon it in society. So we know what the truth is. We need to act upon it and show society God's truth in those ways. Going to verse 10, we come to the fourth thing Paul points out. It means being open, being open to God's wisdom. He says, and find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. Now, God's light helps us to discriminate what is pleasing and what is not pleasing to God. Now, I remember once going to a, a market stall and uh, I bought something off the stall and I handed over a, a £20 note and I was somewhat taken by surprise when the vendor took my £20 note, walked around and held it up to the light. And I thought, what's he doing? He's checking that my note's genuine. I was quite, you know, affronted by that really. I thought I'd pass him and done £20 up. But he was checking because obviously he'd had done £20 notes and he held it up to the light to see if it was flawed. And all our actions, all our decisions and all our motives must be exposed to the light to make sure that they are pleasing to God. It's quite an awesome thought, isn't it? That God sees what we do and God knows why we're doing it. And sometimes that might not be quite the same as how we want other people to think why we're doing it. <laughs> but we can't fool God. Right? God sees. God holds us up to the light and that exposes it all. So it means being open to God's wisdom. Verse 11, here's the fifth thing. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. You see, the light exposes evil and it shows it up for what it really is. So we're to shine the light of God onto the evils of society. That's what Paul means by, in verse 11, fruitless deeds of darkness. That's the evils of society, he's saying. And expose them for what they are. And then things can be changed and things can be healed. Because you see, what he's saying here is that children of the light are agents of change in society. And they're agents of healing in society. And we've heard a lot about that this morning already, haven't we? How that can be. The different ways that that can happen. That we can bring change and we can bring healing into society through being children of the light. Exposing what's wrong and seeking to put it right. Then things can be changed and society can be healed. So God needs people who will take a stand for what's right. 
And the final thing, number six, verses 15 to 17, it means being wise in three particular areas. Paul says, quote, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So he identifies three areas then. First of all, in our lifestyle, verse 15, as we've already seen. We are being watched, by the way. As soon as you are a light in darkness, you're a target. Because you don't blend in. You're different. You stand out. You'll be watched. Something that happened to me uh, illustrated that. Again, back to cricket. I used to um, score at Nassington Cricket Club for many years, where our boys played cricket. And uh, I was a scorer there, and we had this, this score box, which was adjacent to the bar. And uh, we had this uh, big piece of wood that uh, kept the rain out of uh, the viewing area out to the field. And at the end, um, I don't quite know what the circumstances were, but I was doing something with this wood and it dropped. And I think it fell on my foot or something. Uh, and something happened and, and oh, you know, I picked it up and got on and putting it back. And I was suddenly aware of somebody standing in the doorway of the score box. And I said, oh, hello, such and such. I said, uh, what are you doing there? Uh, he said, he said, I was just standing here waiting to see if you'd swear. <laughs> now, it's only a little thing. I'm not telling that for my own glory, please. I'm just giving it you as an illustration about being watched. I didn't know he was there. Right? But because he knew what I stood for, he was looking to see if my life and my words, if you like, were consistent with the light that I was purporting to be. So, as I say, we're being watched. And uh, people will see the difference, don't you worry. And they'll soon suss out whether it's genuine or not. So, in our lifestyle, being wise in our lifestyles. Secondly, he talks about in seizing our opportunities in verse 16. In seizing our opportunities to be a witness for Christ. In seizing our opportunities to speak for God. In seizing our opportunities to take the chances that we get to be light. Do we take those opportunities? You know, dare we pray that prayer? Lord, give me an opportunity to speak about you to somebody today. I dare you to pray it. Because in my experience... It happens. <laughs> and it's something, maybe, you know, we think, we'd rather, oh, I'm too busy, I can't be bothered with a lot. Lord, give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity today to show your light to somebody. You know? Shine through me today into somebody's life. You know, it's a challenging prayer. I challenge you to pray it and to see what God does with it. Being a witness, speaking for God, taking the chances we get to be light. There are, are times when we think, oh, I'm too busy. I, I don't know, just helping the neighbour with something. You know, oh, I was going to do it. I was gonna. You've got the chance to be light. Do we use it? You know, how do we prioritise this? We do the things that we're doing. It's really, I get really challenged about that. 
I really honestly do. And I struggle with it. And I fail. You know, but the, that's the challenge. You know, and thirdly, he talks about being wise in our understanding. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, simply this. Seeing things from God's perspective, rather than from the darkness point of view. Darkness, he talks about the foolish. Therefore, do not be foolish. In other words, don't be darkness. Don't be like you were when you didn't know God. You know God now, right? So be light. Look at it from God's perspective, from God's point of view. Be wise in your understanding. So, in conclusion, let me say this. Here's the question we don't want to ask this morning. What fruits of repentance, going back to what John the Baptist said, that I mentioned right at the start, what fruits of repentance need fertilising in my life? As I've gone through those, and it's not all of them, that's, this is just a taster, I say, if you want them all, come to those Bible studies. What fruit? I, need, I know the ones that need fertilising in my life. What about you? I don't want to know what they are. You know what they are. And you just need to ask God to fertilise them in your life. Don't get depressed. And it's easy to get depressed. You go through this list and you think, oh, I'm not doing that. No, no, I'm not doing that. No, no, I haven't. no, that's not changed. And you can get downcast and you can get depressed. Now, look, be encouraged. Few, if any of us, show all that in our lives day by day. If you do, then I'd like to shake you by the hand because uh, you're, you're doing better than me. But what we need to do is we're all a work in progress. That's the thing to remember. We're all a work in progress. The thing is, am I progressing? <laughs> You know, am I further on in this than I was a year ago? Five years ago? That's, that's, a, that's a real challenge to look at. Instead, try and use it as a stimulus. Try and use it as a catalyst for change. For example, just take one area of what's been pointed out here this morning. Now, never mind being overwhelmed by the lot. Just take one and say, right, that area, I'm going to nail it. I am going to change in that. I am going to do something about it. Because it all starts with us. In a way, it's no good asking God to do it. God can't do it for us. We have to do it. And as we do it, then God will empower us. That's a very important thing. Just purpose in your heart and mind that you're going to make a change there and ask God to empower you as you seek to do it and your light will shine all the brighter for it. Amen. God bless you all. Let's just pray. Lord, help us to realise what it means to be repentant and how that needs to affect our lifestyles and the ways in which it should and how that looks. And we thank you, Lord, for what we've been able to just dip into this morning, just part of this whole section about what it means to be children of the light. Lord, we found this quite enough to be going on with. And we thank you for it, that it's in your word. And we just, Lord, just pray that by your spirit now, we just come to you, Lord, and we just pick out that particular thing that you're underlining and emphasising in our lives right now that needs to be dealt with, that is still of darkness rather than of light. 
And Lord, we're purposing now before you, Lord, that that is going to change. Lord, we are going to nail this, and we, uh, there's a change that's going to be seen in our lifestyles as a result of it. Lord, we pray that you would indeed empower us, Lord, as we seek to make these changes that are in accordance with your, uh, your word. Bless us, Lord, as we go out there in, into a world of darkness that is dark as far as you're concerned and, and your ways. And Lord, we just so want to be light. And Lord, it can, it can be so difficult at times, Lord. We, we sometimes do what your word tells us not to do. We put a bucket over our light and we just don't let people see it. Lord, help us to be brave, Lord. Help us to be courageous. Help us to be lighthouses. Help us, Lord, to be mirrors. Help us, Lord, to be windows that your light shines through. As we go out into this week, Lord, may our lives affect other people and show them your love and your light for your honour and glory. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you very much for listening to me so well. I really appreciate it.